Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We are so glad that you're with us today and we want to thank you for the gift of spending time together as we continue to explore what God has made known in Jesus through the scriptures. I'm Ethan. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're Disciples Making Disciples in Los Angeles. We'd love to be of spiritual service to you. Please reach out to us by commenting here on our video. Uh, subscribe to us where you found us. You can also reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Today we'd like to warn our audience and everyone listening that what we're going to talk about today is not necessarily for the weak of stomach and may not be appropriate for some of the most youngest viewers. Uh, it would definitely be rated more on the R side because of gore and violence. Because we're going to explore the question, how did Jesus die? Because when we read the descriptions of Jesus' death in the four gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can be struck by the fact that after all of this evocative detail and all of these rich tapestries that they've been weaving for us, all of a sudden, we kind of get more just in giving the facts mode. It's, it's narrated very tersely, quickly, and without a lot of explanation. It's, in fact, understated, and there's good reason for that. The first century audience to whom it was written did not need to have additional detail given about what would be involving in scourging and a crucifixion, the mockery and things of that nature. It was very real to them, all too common, something they would have seen frequently in their lives. We live 2,000 years later in a different time and place with the different sensibilities. We don't see scourging and crucifixion happening on a daily basis, uh, and we can be very thankful for that. And yet, our culture is very sanitized when it comes to violence. Uh, we have it on the big screen, right, on television or in the movies uh, that we know is not real. And any time that violence actually takes place in our world, uh, we feel shocked and saddened and, and, and look at it as this great tragedy and are not at all uh, familiar with it in the ways that those of, of uh, our ancient forebears would have been. Uh, that's why it's important for us to spend some time going into some detail, as we are going to right now, talking about how Jesus died, that we can appreciate what Jesus went through, and the great anguish and pain and distress that he endured uh, on the cross, and even before the cross, for all mankind. So what did Jesus suffer? What were his experiences leading us to this question, how did Jesus die? And the anguish begins all the way back in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 37, Jesus already is in great distress and anguish, very sorrowful as he goes to pray. And we're told about this in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, that his soul was sorrowful unto death. And he makes this prayer that um, he's asking my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. So he's praying that God's will be done. Uh, Luke tells us that he's praying uh, and he gets sweat like drops of blood. Now this has led some to suggest that he's going through a condition called hematidrosis in which uh, a person begins sweating blood because of great stress. And that's a possibility, but we need to remember that Luke says that he sweated like drops of blood. Not that he sweated drops of blood, that he's comparing them to the drops of blood, not saying it was actual blood, but it demonstrates uh, the great anguish of soul. Jesus is fully man and fully God. As fully God, he knew well what he was about to experience. Uh, in fact, he had foretold to his disciples that he was going to be betrayed and he was going to suffer and die. He knew what was coming. And so he's going through that very 
natural anticipatory anxiety and grief about what he's about to experience. And as uh, the Son of Man, as uh, fully human, he knew that it was going to be very difficult and it was going to be a lot of suffering. You can only imagine, if you knew what you were going to go through, like what Jesus is going to go through, you also uh, would be in great distress and pain. And we're told that this time he is comforted by an angel and given strength in Luke 22 and 43. Uh, soon after these events, Judas comes with the uh, uh, group with him to betray him. And he betrays Jesus. This is when Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, uh, the servant of the high priest. And Jesus tells him to put the sword back in its place. Uh, that all who take the sword will perish by the sword in verse 52 of Matthew 26. And he asks, do you not think that I can call my angel, my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But then asks, how could the scriptures be fulfilled if it were so? So Jesus could have gotten out of it. Jesus could have rescued himself. But then the scriptures would not be fulfilled. That what he was about to endure had to happen the way it was going to happen. And there was no other way. Very important to note there that Peter is going to take the way of the violence, of insurrection, of trying to do something to protect Jesus. And Jesus not only stops him, but heals that uh, servant. The last recorded miracle of sorts that Jesus uh, is able to accomplish there. Really powerful, poignant moment there where he is not going to have evil done to him or others because uh, he's not going to have evil perpetrated by him or his people because of the evil being done to him that he is going to overcome evil through good, and he's going to endure and suffer the evil. And we see that already laid out here in how he is dealing with his moment of betrayal. And of course, he's in great mental anguish. Now at this point, he is now in captivity, and for the rest of his life will be led about. He is presented before Annas and Caiaphas at a meeting of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and false witnesses are brought up and say things, but even their testimony did not agree. This is a show trial, sham trial, not even according to the rules. And yet, uh, the high priest will adjure him to uh, tell us if he's the Christ and the living God. And what does Jesus say? You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, conflating Psalm 110 and Psalm 2 with Daniel 7, and confessing himself as a Danielic son of man uh, who would receive an eternal dominion from the Ancient of Days. And for the high priest, that's enough. They've all heard the uh, blasphemy that he has uttered and thus deserves death. Uh, he then goes through more suffering. They spit in his face. They strike him. They, they say, prophesy, who hit you? So he's now going through a physical, mental, emotional anguish. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us of how Peter denies Jesus. And of course, Jesus knew this was coming. He had already said that Peter was going to deny him. But we can only imagine the pain of actually watching it happen. Where here's his close disciple who said he was going to die for him, now saying, I don't even know who the guy is. And that would really reinforce how alone Jesus was and how isolated Jesus was. And that would have weighed heavily upon him at this moment. Beginning in Matthew 27, uh, Mark 15 and Luke 22, the decision was made by morning here to put him to death, and he is handed over <coughs> excuse me, to Pilate. And so Jesus stands before Pilate, but he does not answer. He has to stand before Pilate because the Jewish people could not commit, uh, take care of capital uh, cases by themselves. Capital punishment had to be authorized by the Romans and done by the Romans. And so he's brought to Pilate. He does not answer. Pilate marvels. In Luke's county, he's sent to Herod. Herod had wanted to see him. 
uh, and hear from him. Uh, all kinds of things were said by Herod. He didn't answer. Luke wants you to know that now Herod and, en and Pilate, who had been enmity with one another, were now friends um, because Herod had showed due deference to, sorry, Pilate had shown due deference to Herod. And of course, Luke wants you to see Psalm 2 in the background of that, that the uh, various officials and the authorities of the world were conspiring against the anointed one of God. But Pilate doesn't want to kill Jesus. Um, he has spoken to him in John and sees he's not your average Jewish insurrectionist and whatever the chief priests and authorities want him to do, he'd rather do the opposite. And his wife was, you know, caused all kinds of distress because of him in a dream. And so he's trying to find a way out. <clears throat> and the first way out is this tradition that during the Passover, they would release a prisoner. And so he asked, would you like for us to release uh, Jesus to you? And they say, no, away with this man, give to us uh, Barabbas. Barabbas is often called a robber. Uh, the term is lestai and should be understood as an insurrectionist. He uh, was somebody who was guilty of murder, who was trying to uh, foment insurrection against the Roman authorities. And uh, this is very evocative that they have rejected the Messiah that God had sent them and they had chosen the Messiah for themselves, uh, a Barabbas type, uh, that would lead them in insurrection against Rome and really points to the way forward, what's going to happen in 40 years when it all uh, falls apart. And they demand that Jesus would be crucified. And so again, the mental and emotional suffering, that he has this mockery and this contempt from Herod and the soldiers, uh, that all these people who had cried out that he was the Messiah a week ago now are telling uh, Pilate to crucify him and uh, that they were asking for murder to be granted to them and were killing the author of life and they did not understand that as Peter would eloquently talk about later in Acts chapter 3. This is when Pilate has Jesus scourged and he then gives into the will of the people, the, the Pharisees and the chief priests and they all cry out and if you're not a friend of Caesar if you let the king of the Jews live uh, they're now threatening him in his position and so Pilate feels like he has no, nothing else he can do. Uh, doing what is right is not worth his head, and therefore he hands Jesus over to them, and he is uh, scourged, and then delivered to be crucified. Now, what's extraordinary about this is that scourging is normally not done before crucifixion. Scourging and crucifixion were two different things that Romans did. Uh, Crucifixion was just the way you were going to make an example of somebody, but scourging was done to dissuade people from further disobedience. Uh, they'd whip you up and then they'd send you off, uh, hopefully that you've learned your lesson and you wouldn't come back. And so Pilate is still probably trying to make an example of you. Say, hey, look, I'm beating him. Uh, I'm whipping him here. Uh, I've hurt him, so uh, we can let him go now. Uh, so he's trying not to have him killed. So what is scourging? Scourging is a flogging. It involves a short leather whip in Latin called a flagrum or flagellum, and it has lead balls attached at its end. Now, as seen by uh, Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, it was a Jewish custom to have no more than 39 strikes. The Romans, however, had no such compunction. And so the whips would strike Jesus on the shoulders, backs, and legs, and the guy who would be doing it would be a professional and would be going systematically down the back. The first would just cut open the skin. Uh, as the lashings would continue up and down, it would cut deeper into the skin layers and blood would come forth. Those lead balls would first bruise. And then after uh, the first wave of bruising would start uh, opening up those bruises as, blo as uh, the blows continued, which would lead eventually to the skin hanging off the body like ribbons and leaving the body a bloody and torn mess. 
When a centurion would see the prisoner was near death, he would tell them to stop, and the person would then be let go. Uh, so Jesus is by this point physically drained and near death. He's emotionally and mentally drained, and he's suffering physical abuse and mockery and torment. And we're told now this is the point where the soldiers begin to mock Jesus. They strip him of his clothes. They put a robe on him. They twist a crown of thorns and press it upon his head. They put a reed in his hand, and they provide mock worship to him. They spat upon him, they strike him with the reed, they take off the robe they put on him, put his clothes back on him. And this all would lead to extreme pain, because we have no record that any medical care has been given to him for all of his wounds from scourging. And so he's got basically an exposed back. And so every time they would take off his clothes, put on clothes, take off those clothes, put his clothes back on, would be intense agony and pain uh, with that contact uh, of those uh, wounds on his back. And of course, then there's the pain of having the, th thorn of the, the thorns pressed into his scalp. If you've ever had a head wound, you understand how uh, much they bleed. There's so much blood uh, in those uh, blood vessels in the head. And so that would lead to intense blood loss with all of those different lacerations from every point of the thorns uh, in his head. And of course, uh, the mental and emotional suffering that he's going through because of that mockery and that abuse. This is when, according to John, Pilate makes a final decision to crucify Jesus. And so he just goes from the, the pavement to uh, Golgotha, or uh, place of a skull, Calvary, in Latin, where Jesus is crucified. And that's just the way they say it. They brought him there and they crucified him. It's a very low-key way of putting it uh, because they felt no need to elaborate. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say Simon of Cyrene carried his cross. Uh, Jesus, however, and John carries his own cross. So we can probably harmonize both of them. That Jesus probably began carrying his cross. Uh, the, the weight was probably too much. And so Simon comes in to help out at the end. A lot of times we imagine being the full cross, but that was unlikely. The Romans normally had the, the, the post already there. And so he'll be carrying what is called the patibulum, the T of the cross, uh, the, the horizontal bar. And it probably would have weighed around 110 pounds, which is still a lot for a guy who's gone through this suffering and agony that Jesus has. At this point, Luke 23, the, the women are, are lamenting. And Jesus says, don't lament over me, but lament over yourselves uh, because of what's coming. If they're doing this when the wood is green, what will they do when it's dry? Uh, foreshadowing the events that will take place against Jerusalem. At this time, Jesus is given wine mixed with gall or myrrh. He tastes it and does not drink it in Matthew 27 and Mark 15. Some suggest that would be to deaden the pain, and it may be, but why would the soldiers who are trying to increase his pain in, you know, lessen his pain at all? Uh, it's more likely it's just a disgusting mixture, and now that's in your mouth, uh, gall or myrrh with wine. That's what you got in your mouth as you're standing, sitting up there on the cross, and there's nothing you can do about it. So it's probably just another mean thing that they did to him. And so then they crucified him in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. Crucifixion seems to originate from the Persians, brought into the Near Eastern and classical worlds. And it's reserved for the criminals that Rome wanted to make examples of. It wasn't done willy-nilly. It wasn't done uh, as much as you might imagine. If you had done some common thing like stealing or, or something like that, and, and they could just stab you, much quicker to stab you. They just stab you and then you're dead. Uh, when you're going to the extent of crucifying with the crosses and all that, you're, you're trying to humiliate. You're trying to make an example of. You're trying to put somebody in that situation in that agony and horror uh, so everybody who sees them knows, all right, whatever that person did, I shouldn't do that because I don't want to be where that guy is. 
that was the point of, of crucifixion. It's the humiliation and the torture that's involved. A lot of times a cross that you see, you know, has a top part and uh, has down. This is probably a T cross uh, that doesn't have anything going above the horizontal bar uh, based upon uh, Eastern uh, customs. Um, it's one of the most painful ways of dying that humans have ever come up with. Uh, in fact, our word for, for horrible pain, excruciating pain, right, it comes from the Latin excrucare, which means from the cross. Uh, and a person who would be crucified would die by asphyxiation, exposure, or hunger or dehydration. Uh, because what ends up happening is that the nails in the wrists and the ankles allow enough movement for a person to continue to breathe that makes it extremely painful. So when you rise up to breathe up, uh, you're putting a lot of pressure on your legs and it causes a lot of pain. And when you sink down, it causes a lot of pain in the arms. And so with every single breath, you're getting relief in one part of your body, but incredible pain in another. And many would run out of strength where they no longer could lift themselves up to breathe and therefore they would asphyxiate. And that would be hastened by breaking the legs because when the legs were broken, you couldn't lift up anymore. And that is why Pilate sent his soldiers to break the legs of the people crucified on that day so they wouldn't be crying out in agony on the Passover in John 18, 31, 32. Uh, stronger victims how would die of other causes uh, by exposure out in the elements, uh, dehydration, um, or... Um, Terrible things, like since they're defenseless, animals would come and, you know, birds would peck at them and things of that nature. Horrible things going on while you're up there on the cross. So Jesus is crucified with his wrists and ankles nailed to the cross. There'd be one uh, nail in each wrist and one going through both ankles. And we have found um, in archaeology um, the bones of a man crucified with the nails still in those places. A lot of people want to act as and suggest that Jesus would have been uh, nailed in the middle of his palm, but that would not work because that can't bear the load of the human body. If you try to do that, it would just strip out between the fingers. Uh, we don't think of the wrist as part of the hand, but the, the Greeks and Romans did. So when they say hand, it, it also can mean the wrist. And the wrist can hold that, but of course that's also where a lot of the nerves are, which causes all of that pain. And he's crucified between two criminals, uh, likely Barabbas' associates. We need to remember that Jesus is on Barabbas' cross, after all, the one intended for Barabbas. And they torment him initially, uh, but one of them will come to repentance. His clothes are divided among the soldiers, and lots are, are cast for his seamless tunic. So he's watching his, his effects being parceled out. His mother, Mary, is there. Mary Magdalene, one of his close disciples, is present. And so is John watching all of this. And as he's on the cross, he says seven things. He asks the Father to forgive his executioners, uh, which is an extraordinary moment. Uh, he tells the thief that he will be with Jesus in the, in the paradise. He commissions John to care for his mother Mary. Me, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that he thirsted, he commended his spirit to God. And he declared that it is finished. And while he's up there, he's mocked by those who walk by. He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is the Son of God, let him come down from the cross. Uh, things of that nature. And of course, he would have had the great emotional pain of seeing his mother watching him die and his, great, his close associates, uh, Mary Magdalene, John, and others. We know that he endured at least three hours on the cross uh, in verses 45 and 46 of Matthew chapter 27. There was darkness from the 6th till the ninth hour, so uh, from noon to 3 p.m. Um, and he would have perhaps died soon after. But he died sooner than was expected. Pilate was surprised to have heard he already died and had to send out for 
uh, confirmation. Which leads to the question, how did Jesus die? And physicians have tried to figure out his uh, cause of death based on the details given. And the best answer is probably heart failure. And it was because Jesus had suffered a lot before he had gotten on the cross. Remember the scourging and other things that would not have happened to the average person being crucified. And so he probably had a lot of blood loss and water loss. And so the tissues of his body had lost a lot of fluid. It would have compressed his heart. And the pericardium around the heart would have filled with serum. And that would also suggest why he said, I thirst, because he was getting dehydrated because of, of the water going there. And that the heart, which is overly constricted and stressed, would fill with fluid and fail. And the fact that when the, the soldier pierced him and blood and water came out helps to reinforce that diagnosis. That's what you would expect to see in that kind of case of heart failure. When he dies, his body is taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. It is prepared and buried in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John chapter 19. Uh, the body is wrapped in cloths, prepared with a lot of myrrh and aloes. It's put in a rock hut tomb that has no other entrance, freshly prepared for Joseph. Uh, the women watch where he is buried, and then they went to rest. And thus we see how Jesus suffered and died. And we can see the intense suffering going on that he suffered the physical abuse at the hands of the Jews and the soldiers, the scourging, the mockery and the crucifixion, the mental and emotional suffering of the expectation of what he was going to endure, how he was forsaken by his disciples, the hardness of heart of the people who were killing him. He was derided and mocked, his, the pain of his own mother and his disciples, and he's still God the Son. At no point do we get the impression that uh, he ceases being God or that he is somehow uh, separated from, his, uh, from divinity. Uh, Jesus could always end at any point. At any point, he could have just come down, could have ended it all, and yet he endured it all. That he might suffer all evil could throw at him, and yet overcome it without responding in kind, and in fact, manifesting what is good, right, and holy throughout. Providing for his mother, asking for the forgiveness of those who were hurting him, uh, healing this, the, the high priest servant's ear. Always maintaining his composure and glorifying God in all that he did. And he did all of that that we could be saved. And it's a powerful thing. And, and that's why we need to take so seriously the cost that Jesus had to bear for our sin, that we could be reconciled to God and participate in his kingdom and obtain life in him. That he suffered these things because of his great love for us and the Father's love for us, John 3 and verse 16. That is why we can never consider Jesus' sacrifice on the cross cheap or worthless. That is why we might, uh, we must do all that we can to work and, and to live so that we don't crucify the Son of God afresh, as the Hebrews author says of those who turn away from Jesus and go back into the life of sin in Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. And that is why we need to constantly remember what Jesus died for us and praise God for his love and grace that has been made suffer, evident through this suffering of Jesus. And to understand that if we want to be saved in him, that we're going to have to walk in his steps. And that involves taking our cross and following him, which is going to mean that, that suffering of that humiliation, that degradation, that we might go through intense anguish and pain. At some point, we'll go through intense anguish and pain. And that we're supposed to respond not in kind, not rendering evil for evil, but doing good and seeking the best interests of those who are hurting us and, and hating us, that God will be honored and glorified uh, because we are following the path that he has established in his Son. And let us pursue the way of his Son that we might be saved. Let us go to God in prayer. 
Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for the blessings of life that you've given us today, for you and your love and care and covenant loyalty expressed toward us, and especially for Jesus, for his life, and especially for his death. And we recognize how much he suffered for us, Father, and we pray that we would um, turn from our sin and that we would put our trust in him fully, that we would have salvation in him. We're thankful for the spirit and the word and for one another and the faith and for all the spiritual and physical blessings you've given us. We pray that you would heal those who are ill and that you would strengthen and comfort those in distress and grieving, that you provide for those who are in need, that you would preserve life wherever it is in danger, that you would allow your justice and righteousness to flow in our land and throughout the world, and that the schemes of the powers and principalities against us would be thwarted in the name of Jesus. Uh, we pray, Father, that we would always be mindful of all that Jesus has endured, and that we might be reinforced and strengthened in our dedication and loyalty to you, that we would not pursue uh, the ways of sin and, and evil, and that we would not crucify him afresh, but that we would do all things to glorify you and be willing to suffer, that we might be glorified with him. We pray that you would strengthen and sustain us through whatever we must endure in the name of your Son, that we can obtain the resurrection of life. We're so looking forward to his return to share in that resurrection, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We're again so glad that you've joined us today. Uh, yes, it's a very gory, ugly thing that we saw happen to Jesus, but why is it important to understand why Jesus, how Jesus died and what that means for us and what he had to go through and how he responded to what he had to go through? Love to hear your thoughts, but if there's any way we can be of service to you, please let us know in the comments, subscribe to us, reach out to us at VenusChurchOfChrist.org or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We look forward to encouraging you again soon. May the Lord bless and keep you until then.